0: I want to invite you to open your bibles to first corinthians chapter 12 it's on page 902 in the pew bible if you want to use that resource first corinthians chapter 12 last week we began a three-part sermon series on our church's 3e vision statement embrace god's truth enjoy his people extend his glory And just as we need our physical vision checked from time to time to make sure that it's healthy and good, so even we need our spiritual vision checked. And our great physician is more than capable to help us do that. Paul prayed in his letter to the church at Ephesus. He said, I prayed that the eyes of your heart would be enlightened. Uh, Paul wanted them to As fellow believers, he wanted their hearts to be flooded with light so that they would come to a better understanding of God's limitless love for them, of the immense greatness of his power toward them, and of the unspeakably glorious future that God had prepared for them. And only the Holy Spirit of God can give us that kind of insight. It's not something that is seen with with natural human reasoning. Your eyes must be opened by the Spirit of God, and the Spirit of God opens our eyes through the Word of God, the Holy Scriptures, which, of course, the Spirit himself wrote through human authors. And that's why we began our series last week with the first part of our vision statement, Embrace God's Truth. All Scripture points to Christ, who said, I am the truth. So to embrace God's truth is to embrace God's Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Embracing Him as your Lord and Savior is the start of your Christian journey. But we were never meant to walk alone. God wants us to enjoy His people on the road of salvation. And that second part of our church's vision statement is what this morning's message is about, enjoying God's people. So if you haven't already, please do open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to be looking at verses 12 to 27 where the Apostle Paul compares the physical body to the body of Christ, the church. Beginning in verse 12, Paul writes, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Most of us are familiar with the concept of body image. How we think, feel, and act toward our bodies. And unfortunately, many people today have a negative body image. And negative body images tend to lead to many negative outcomes, uh, such as stress, anxiety, depression, uh, interpersonal conflict, social isolation, perfectionistic tendencies, and perpetual negative thoughts. Sadly, research has shown that roughly half of all 13-year-old American girls have reported being unhappy with their body. And this number jumps to 80% by the time they turn 17. Negative body image afflicts the male population as well. While only 25% of guys admit that they're concerned about their uh, their physique, Actually, 75% of them use appearance or performance-enhancing substances to modify their body image. How we think, feel, and act toward our body has a huge impact upon our lives. And the same is true when it comes to Christ's body, the church. If I were counseling someone with a negative body image, I would want them to see themselves as God sees them. That would be the very starting point of of changing your perspective, how you think and feel and act toward your body. Uh, That would be the beginning of uh, being able to replace anxiety with peace, depression with joy, interpersonal conflict with healthy relationships, social isolation with involvement in other people's lives. Uh, being able to replace uh, perfectionistic tendencies with realistic expectations, and replacing negative thoughts with positive thoughts. And in 1 Corinthians 12, Paul is seeking to uh, improve the church's perception of itself as the body of Christ. He's seeking to improve the church's perception of itself as the body of Christ. Paul says we're not to be putting ourselves down because we minimize the role that we play in the body of Christ. And if we tend to have a more prominent role, we are by no means to disparage those that seem to play a lesser role. We are to appreciate every part, every member of Christ's body, and we are to cherish the church as a unified whole. God wants us to enjoy his people the Spirit of God, speaking through Scripture, declares that Christ's body has many members which constitute a beautiful whole. That's the the principle that I trust that God will carve into your hearts today. Christ's body has many members which constitute a beautiful whole. Moments ago in our worship service we read the first 16 verses of Ephesians chapter 4 where the church is referred to as the body of Christ, just as it is here in 1 Corinthians 12. But in the very next chapter, Ephesians 5, the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. This past Wednesday evening at our care and discipleship course uh, we spent some time devoted to studying Ephesians 5, verses 25 to 32, where the Holy Spirit says this, Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word, and to present her to himself as a radiant church, without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In this same way, Husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they feed and care for their body just as Christ does the church, for we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I am talking about Christ and the church. In these verses, Paul employs two metaphors for the church, both body and bride, because the relationship of husband and wife illustrates the eternal bond between Christ and his bride, the church. And that's why each man is to love his wife as he loves his own body. Now I confess as I looked at verse 29 where it says, no one ever hated his own body but feeds and cares for it. I was like, well, how does that jibe with this whole negative body image that we were just talking about? And I think we would agree that the problem is is that people have a messed up love or a messed up view of their bodies which leads them to mistreat their bodies. And the same can happen in the church. We love the church as believers and yet we have a messed up love going on in the church because we have a messed up view of the church and it leads to mistreatment of one another in the church if we're not careful. And that's the problem the Holy Spirit through the pen of the Apostle Paul is addressing in his letter to the church at Corinth. It's meant for our sake so that we can be well equipped by scripture to deal with that same problem today. And that's why Paul draws a comparison between something that we can all relate to. Paul draws a comparison between our physical body and Christ's body. Let's consider again, just for a moment, the analogy. Look again, if you would please, at 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12. Paul says, For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. No, when you saw me uh, at church today, whether it was maybe out in the lobby, in the hallway, or maybe as I was coming up to the platform, you probably weren't thinking, oh, look, there's Pastor Matt's feet. Oh, wow, look, they, he brought his hands with him too. And I hope he brought his head this morning. Sometimes he doesn't. Look, oh, my goodness, his arms and his legs. All of Pastor Matt is here this morning. Well, that's, it's a ridiculous thought, right? Because even though my body has many parts, many members, you see me as one person, right? You see me as a unified whole, as as Pastor Matt. And this is how we should view the body of Christ. Yes, many members, but we are a unified whole, and we are a beautiful body in the eyes of God. Why does Paul say that we should see the church this way? He tells us in verse 13. For in one spirit... We were all baptized into one body. Jews are Greeks, slaves are free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. If you are a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have been baptized in the spirit into the body of Christ. And that happened the moment that you were born again from above. The, The moment that you were regenerated by the Holy Spirit of God. The moment that God took your your hard heart and gave you a soft heart that was pliable to his word. It was the moment that you repented of your sins and you believed the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ. It was the moment that you realized that you were a rebel against God. That you had disregarded his word. That you had disobeyed his commands. That you had lived your life your way instead of God's way. It was in that moment that you realized that God was right to condemn you on account of that, that God was right to separate you from his glorious presence, to to cast you away in hell for all eternity because of your rejection of him. And yet you realize also that God in his immense mercy and incredible love, when you were Hopeless, when you were helpless, when you were powerless to rescue yourself, God reached down and rescued you. And God did that by sending his son to be a substitute for you. Because God's holiness, uh, the Bible says that um, God is absolutely perfect. And he cannot look upon sin. So if we are to dwell in God's presence, we must be without sin. But of course, we're all sinners. So Jesus Christ is the solution. Jesus Christ is our rescuer. God sent his son to live as our substitute. And he lived that perfect, obedient, righteous life that none of us have lived. And he died on Calvary, the cross, absorbing God's just wrath against our sin, taking the punishment that we deserved because of our rebellion and disobedience against God. Jesus did that willingly. He said, Nobody takes my life from me. I lay it down of my own accord because this charge I've received from my Father. Jesus Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. And after Jesus sacrificed himself, On account of our sins, three days later, he rose victoriously from the grave, proving that he had conquered sin, conquered death, conquered Satan, conquered the darkness for all who would trust in him as their Lord and Savior. The Bible says that all have sinned and fall short of God's glorious standard, and we are justified freely by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, his Son. Boy, I hope you have trusted Him as your Savior. I hope that you have turned from your sinful way of life, uh, living life for yourself from your sin, and have entrusted yourself to Jesus Christ. The moment you believed this message, which many of us have, that moment that you received God's gift of salvation through faith, that very moment you were born again and you were baptized in one spirit into one body, the church the universal body of Christ. And water baptism, which we'll be seeing next week, is an outward symbol of this reality. Water baptism is the Christ-prescribed method by which we go public with our faith. Uh, We put on the Jesus jersey, so to speak. We announce to the world that, by God's grace, we are now on His team. We are committed to Christ and to the people of God. And this is something that Jesus commanded all his disciples to do. And that's why when Peter preached the gospel, the good news about Jesus Christ, in Jerusalem during the Feast of Pentecost, just days after Jesus had ascended into heaven, we are told in Acts 2 that those who received his word were baptized, and there were added that day to the church about 3,000 souls. And the Lord has been adding to his church ever since. This morning, in one of our truth track classes, we were getting glimpses of the church of Jesus Christ in pockets of fellowship of believers all over the world. The church is the body of Christ, the church is the bride of Christ. He loved her and gave himself for her. Near the end of Revelation, the Apostle John is, is given a breathtaking view of the church as God sees her and by grace has made her in all her resplendent beauty as the bride of Christ. Listen to these verses from Revelation 19, 6-9. John writes, Then I heard something like the voice of a vast multitude, like the sound of cascading waters, like the rumbling of loud thunder, saying, Hallelujah, because the Lord our God, the Almighty, reigns. Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory because the marriage of the Lamb has come and his bride has prepared herself. She was given fine linen to wear, bright and pure, for the fine linen represents the righteous acts of the saints. Then he said to me, write, blessed are those who are invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. He also said to me, these words of God are true. I wonder if you see the church this way. Not because we have arrived yet to that state of perfection outwardly. We have already arrived inwardly through the justifying grace of God where he declares us to be righteous in Christ by faith. And we are becoming that way increasingly on the outside as we provoke one another to love and good works, that we might become more and more like Jesus individually and together. But I wonder if we could see the church the way she will appear in all her glory, and if that would change the way we see the church now. I wonder if you've seen the church in this way, the way that God sees her, the way that Jesus Christ beholds His beautiful bride. In his book, The Loveliest Place, Dustin Benj writes, quote, The church is beautiful because the lens through which Christ regards her is his cross. The focal point of blood, righteousness, forgiveness, union, justification, regeneration, and grace. His cross makes her beautiful. His perfection makes her beautiful. It is his sacrificial, substitutionary, sinless blood that washes her garments as white as snow. The cross of Christ makes her beautiful, not only inwardly by justification, but also outwardly through sanctification. From giving second birth to final glory, the righteousness of Christ creates a beautiful church. End quote. Christ's body has many members. People from all different walks of life, all different kinds of backgrounds, ethnicities, social classes, personalities, skill sets, and yet they all constitute a beautiful whole. Amidst all our diversity, there is a pervasive unity. Because in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body, the body of Christ. And we all know that variety is the spice of life, right? It's also the spice of the church. Listen again as I read verses 14 to 27, this time in the New Living Translation. Keep it in mind that Paul is using our physical body as an illustration of Christ's body, the church. Yes, the body has many different parts, not just one part. If the foot says... I'm not a part of the body because I'm not a hand, that does not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear says, I'm not part of the body because I am not an eye, would that make it any less part of the body? If the whole body were an eye, how would you hear? Or if your whole body were an ear, how would you smell anything? But our bodies have many parts, and God has put each part just where he wants it. How strange a body would be if it had only one part. Yes, there are many parts, but only one body. The eye can never say to the hand, I don't need you. The head cannot say to the feet, I don't need you. In fact, some parts of the body that seem weakest and least important are actually the most necessary. And the parts we regard as less honorable are those we clothe with the greatest care. So we carefully protect those parts that should not be seen, while the more honorable parts do not require this special care. So God has put the body together in such a way that extra honor and care are given to those parts that have less dignity. This makes for harmony among the members so that all the members care for each other. If one part suffers, all the parts suffer with it. If one part is honored, all the parts are glad. All of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Now he's writing to believers. But he's given a powerful illustration, one that we can all relate to. I can give you right now a good example of a body part that isn't pretty, it isn't prominent, but it sure is important. And that's our little pinky toe. You know, the little piggy that goes wee, wee, wee all the way home. It's the smallest toe on the foot but it plays a big role when it comes to maintaining our balance. Like the leg of a chair that that shares the load with its counterparts. If you have ever hit your piggy toe on a corner of a baseboard like my wife did just last week, another time you you stub that toe, boy, I'll tell you what, um, you hurt your piggy and your whole body hurts and you hobble like crazy because your piggy is a huge part of helping you to maintain your balance. Your whole body is affected. It's amazing. This this little appendage is like what? That big? It's amazing. Your piggy is a very little toe but with a very big responsibility. It isn't pretty. It's not prominent, but it sure is important. And Paul is saying the same is true with certain members in the body of Christ. The role that you play may not be as public, it may not be as pretty, it may not be as prominent as other roles in the church, but it is no less important. To say that you don't matter, remember that where he was saying that the foot oh because I'm not an eye, I'm not part of the body. To say that you don't matter that you're insignificant that you're really not a part of the body is to say that God made a mistake when he designed the church. Because did you see what we saw in that passage? Scripture says, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. So to say, I don't matter. I'm not really a part of this. If you're a believer in Christ is to say that God made a mistake when he designed the church. So don't minimize the role that you play. Uh, While we're to humble ourselves, we're not to put ourselves down in that sense. And if God has given you a a more prominent role, if you are more visible than others, and and maybe you um, are in a position that's maybe naturally more honorable in the church, you better be absolutely sure that you don't disparage other parts of the body because you need them just as much as they need you. You need the church, and the church needs you. Paul says, or the Holy Spirit says through Paul, all of you together are Christ's body, and each of you is a part of it. Well, I want to get to application. With this in mind, what practical steps can we take to enjoy God's people? You know, we could... uh, go through this passage uh, piecemeal, verse by verse, breaking it down. But I think that would break down the analogy and and we could miss the forest for the trees. I think the analogy is fairly self-explanatory, especially when we just think of an illustration or two in relating Paul's illustration to us. But what practical steps now can we take to enjoy God's people? Well, there are many, many things that we can do. Basically, all the one and other commands of the New Testament. There's over 50 of them. But let me give you four basic steps to begin. Number one, be saved. Be saved. There are some people that, that are sitting in churches today that are hearing God's word, they're interacting with people, they're singing the songs, but they have never repented of their sins and put their trust in Christ as their Lord and Savior. Let me tell you something, friend. Sitting in church doesn't make you a Christian any more than sitting in a garage makes you a car. We become saved, rescued, by placing our faith fully in the saving work of Jesus Christ. And if you are to enjoy God's people, you must first embrace God's truth. Meaning the written word, yes, but the living word to whom the written word points, the Lord Jesus Christ. He said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody comes to the Father except through me. So if you want to enjoy God's people, the first thing you must do is embrace God's truth. You must... um, um, Uh, By faith, embrace Jesus Christ as your personal Lord and Savior. You must embrace God's truth. And the truth is that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life because God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world but so that the world might be saved through him. And that's why scripture says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. That's God's promise to you. So be saved. Number two, if you want to enjoy God's people, be baptized. As we mentioned earlier, that's how you go public with your faith. That's how you go on record as being a Christian. At least doing it God's way. Baptism is the outward expression of your inward experience. Baptism portrays our union by faith with Jesus in his death, burial, and resurrection. You'll see this next Sunday. We're buried with him by baptism into death, raised to walk in newness of life. That's a direct quote from Romans 6. And that is portrayed beautifully in the ordinance of believer's baptism. Baptism is how you publicly commit yourself to Christ and his people. Think about how easy that is when you really consider it. As a first initial step of obedience as a new believer, what is Jesus asking you to do? Simply to publicly acknowledge Him as your Lord and Savior. Lean back and hold your breath. And if you won't obey God in a simple command like that, what makes you think that you're going to obey Him and all the other things that He asks His followers to do? Jesus said. You call me Lord, Lord. Why do you do that? Because you don't do the things that I say. Baptism is a beautiful coming out ceremony of your life as a Christian. So be saved, be baptized. Baptism is how you publicly commit yourself to Christ and to his body, the church. Number three, be committed. Be committed. If Christ loved the church and gave himself for her, if Jesus never gives up on the church, but continues to love her, to serve her, to lead her by his word and his spirit, then how should this inform our own commitment as followers of Christ to his body, the church? Pastor Mike and I had a membership matters class yesterday that we were co-leading and and Pastor Mike mentioned something that we mentioned pretty much in every class, and that is this: church is not a spectator sport. Church is not a spectator sport, so get out of the stands and all onto the field. Go all in. That is to say, enter into a covenantal commitment, a covenantal uh, relationship with your fellow believers in a local fellowship such as Webster Bible Church. If you're wondering why should I join a church, come to our next membership class. We'll give you eight reasons why, based on scripture, why she should officially become a member of a local church. And if you can't wait till then, which is fine, I have three booklets right here that I'll give to the first three people to come up to me after the service titled, Why Should I Join a Church? This gives you seven reasons why. It presents seven reasons why church membership is essential for displaying the gospel of Jesus in your life. So be committed. Be saved. Be baptized. Be committed. Fourthly and finally, be encouraged. Be encouraged because Jesus Christ is building his church Jesus Christ is eternally committed to his church. Be encouraged because Jesus Christ loves his church. Again, Dustin Benge reminds us, quote, There's never a time when Christ doesn't love her. There's never a time when he doesn't extend his whole heart to her. There's never a time his heart isn't captivated by her. End quote. What a mind-blowing thought. Do you see the church as Jesus does? You know, many times we'll see, or at least on occasion, maybe it's not as common as it used to be, we'll see doves represented at weddings. Do you know why doves are represented at weddings? Because they mate for life. They are a symbol of lifelong love and commitment. The bond between doves is so strong That it many times occurs for a time beyond death as they continue to watch over their mates and try to care for them, returning again and again to the place where they died. The ever-loving, ever-watchful dove looks only to its mate and has eyes for no other. And I'm blown away when I think that Jesus Christ has eyes for no other but his bride, the church. If we love Jesus... We will love his church. For her my tears shall fall. For her my prayers ascend. To her my cares and toils be given till toils and cares shall end. Beyond my highest joy, I prize her heavenly ways, her sweet communion, solemn vows, her hymns of love and praise. I love thy kingdom, Lord, the house of thine abode, the church our blessed redeemer saved with his own precious blood sure as thy truth shall last, to Zion shall be given the brightest glories earth can yield and brighter bliss of heaven. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for calling us into the fellowship of your beloved Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Thank you for making us members of his body, the church. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us as your bride, and making us beautiful both inside and out by your saving grace, by your substitutionary sacrifice for us. Help us to see the church as you do, to love her as you do with the help of your Holy Spirit. May we bring you, Jesus, increasing glory as we experience the blessing of belonging. We love you, Lord Jesus, and we pray all of these things to God, our loving Heavenly Father, in your precious name. Amen.